0: The Cinemaker, Steven Soderbergh, this is episode 26, Magic Mike from 2012. I'm Mike Manzi.
1: I'm Tobin Addington.
2: And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And guys, this movie, I had no idea how much I was going to love this movie (laughs) before I started it. I love this movie. Have you never seen this before? Never seen the first one. I I saw the sequel a couple years ago. Oh, Oh, you saw the sequel Um, first. I watched both last night. And we can. Talk, I'm going to talk about the sequel later. This is the last... I've now seen every Soderbergh movie. We only have a couple more. I've seen those, but this is the last one on my list, on my bucket list. Uh, I've now seen every one, and this is in my top ten. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting to love it, and I loved it. Yeah, I think
0: this rounds it out for me, too. This is the last one I think I had not seen as well, and uh, it was definitely different than what I was expecting. <laughs> we'll get into that. And, yeah, I I liked it a lot. I think you might like it more than I did, but I definitely walked away with um, a different impression than I was expecting. It was certainly not the movie uh, I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, I had seen it when it came out on DVD. I remember sort of liking it, not not loving it, but it was sort of mid-hype, and it, there was all kinds of stuff going on.
0: Oh, it was so much hype.
1: Yeah, and so it felt very slight. And watching it this time, I think this is a pretty brilliant movie in all kinds of ways. I mean, it's it's really, really sly. It's really, really fun. I tweeted out as I was watching it something about it being sort of, you know, amazingly watchable. And I got a, a response from a friend of mine who's a filmmaker in the UK, a woman there, and she wrote back, she thinks it's a masterpiece. So she, you know, wrote back, it's a masterpiece. And I don't think she was being ironic. And I think I think there's something to that. We'll get into it as we go. But, uh, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed rewatching this movie so all i knew about this franchise and it's going to end at two because mike asked me today
2: he's like are they going to make a third one and i googled and that's like the top hit is Shannon tatum has no interest in making a third magic mike so i guess this you know is... nowadays
0: in the interest of my new podcast i need to i need to cover all oh, the bases yes. and find out if it's available
2: i mean i guess you know in in nomenclature it should have been magic mike then xl then xxl uh are... but you know they jump well, right to the the big finale triple xl Mmm I like that. But all I knew about this franchise was that Channing Tatum was obviously in it. And for evidence of my love of Channing Tatum, you just go check out Magic Mike's here on the Podcast Network, where me and Joe, too, go through all of his films one by one. We're going to get to these eventually. But I knew that they were about Magic Mike the Stripper as Channing's sort of background. I knew that the Alamo Drafthouse has rowdy film screenings of these where you know alamo draft has known for its quiet rules will let women or men whoever go and like you know shout at the screen and just get really into it like they were in the crowd so that's pretty cool and i knew that the sequel which i want to talk about later because i watched both last night like i said the sequel was beloved by like people whose opinions of movies i really really respect and i watched it a couple years ago i was like this is all right but then watching both together last night i was like oh this sequel is
1: amazing
0: and Soderbergh didn't direct the sequel, right? But did he have anything to do no. with it?
1: I think he was a producer. And he was the DP. Oh, wow. Oh, was he really? Well, that's my memory, is that he was, under one of his pseudonyms, who was shooting it. It looks beautiful. Yeah,
0: there's, there's a really interesting thing done with the color gel for the daytime real world stuff that
2: was really kind of cool. Oh, well, I was saying the sequel looks beautiful. I think the sequel looks better than this one. This one has a weird, this has a weird kind of, like the, like the gel, like that's... I don't know why. I mean, like, I understand, like, it's a sort of separate the two lifestyles, but like, why is it so yellow? What Uh, do you think? I I
0: actually took it to be sort of more green tinge, just that for money, that they were just trying to see money all day or something like that, or they were just blinded by the money aspect of their their career.
1: Uh, I I think it has more to do with the fact that the, again, this is another movie of Soderbergh's that ends up being a sort of capitalist critique. And you have these, these people who are, I mean, Channing Tatum is sort of, crushed by traditional money systems over and over in this movie and is sort of is unable to sort of fulfill his dreams not because he's not good at them but because he's unable to sort of financially make it work and and the real world itself feels like such a slog and then you go into exquisite and the colors like the blacks are blacker and the blues are beautiful and i mean everything sparkles like it's a fantasy world and for both the strippers and for the people watching them and i think that that's to me how i read the difference in in sort of color tone
2: okay the cock-rocking kings of Tampa tampa in all their glory yeah it's
0: one of those great shorthands that soderbergh has with his films just to separate the different aspects of reality you know like the mundane boring daytime life and then just the wild entertaining exquisite like allure of the nightlife
1: yeah it's pretty clear which world you'd want to live in the nightlife right yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I was looking on Letterbox because I have a lot of people I follow who reviewed both of these movies. And it felt like I saw in a couple of reviews that they're like, as soon as you get back to that yellow gel, you start to zone out. Like, I feel like that's where, having watched all of Soderbergh's movies over the last six or eight months or whatever, that's where this comes into play, where you're like, oh, I get what he's doing, I get the story he's trying to say, we've talked about it on here time and time again, about this financial focus, you know, like, Bubble, and, like, the Oceans movies, and, like, everything revolves around money, and, like, how many times in this movie does Channing say that he's an entrepreneur, like, he's always, like, talking to people about how he's got those different jobs you know one of the more memorable scenes at least to me is when he's in that bank with betsy brant from breaking bad and she's like overwhelmed by how attractive he is and she wants so badly to make it work but just can't he has the money he has we know that he has the work ethic we know that he's able to do what he needs to get done but just like you said tobin like the, the world crushes him down breaks his spirit and like it's just tough to be magic mike
1: Yeah, he's an outsider to that system. However, he's figured out how to work the other system, however much that plays to his talents, he is an outsider in the traditional capitalist system. That scene is so heartbreaking to me because she really does want to help, but can't, but just can't. I also like how in that scene, you see some of the furniture. He shows her his portfolio of, of furniture. And it's like, it's good, it's interesting, but it's not perfect. You know, like they don't try and make it like, oh, he's a savant designer, but he's got a really clear eye. And like, I think they play that really well. Like I would give that guy a shot.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite scenes too. And that's when I knew that this movie had like, deeper levels well I of course because it's Soderbergh but I'm just saying like I was more or less expecting this to sort of be a male cabaret the whole movie in a way like I just thought (laughs) it was going to be way more of the dancing stuff so all of this you know Mike's life and the stuff with Adam and Brooke really caught me by surprise but that scene is great because it shows like he's a hustler and he can't be taken seriously in the legitimate world you know and like no matter Mm -hmm. how much he doesn't really see himself as a hustler because he's not like necessarily a drug dealer in the eyes of that part of society like it really it might as well be you know like he walks in with like stacks of cash and just doesn't know the Hmm. etiquette and is just so like out of his depth in that in that moment that you're just like wow I I hope he can make it through this movie like I wasn't sure if he was actually like gonna be okay by the end and and I, I mean that's we're gonna debate that too
2: It's important to know that everything he does is legal. He works construction and roofing. I think, yeah, he is out of his depth, Mike, especially in that CSM talk to another guy, and the guy basically said, you know, if you come in with a healthy deposit, we can make something happen. He's trying, and he's doing everything he can, and, like, he has, you know, $13,000, and he's not able to make anything happen.
1: Yeah, it's not that what he's doing is illegal. It's that what he's doing is under the table. So much of the money he's making, he's not, you know, they talk about the construction job, I think it's Tarzan, right? Asks the kid, are you being paid? You know, is that under the under the table? And he says, yeah. And I, and what the problem is his credit score. You know, the kindness of strangers only goes so far when the system requires certain things. He just doesn't have what the system requires. That's sort of the tragedy of it is that if there's anybody who is going to be responsible enough to pay back his loan, like he's clearly very careful with that stuff. But he just because of the system, he's unable to get a chance
0: yeah that's one of the few times they allude to something must have happened or you know like there's a past to magic mike that got I, I would assume got him in the situation where he needed the money so he started stripping and all these different jobs and all these different things and it's just like interesting how the movie doesn't even explore any of that we're only given little moments like this to realize like he must have screwed up at some point in the past and now like he's just trying to keep afloat it afloat and stay on the right track and, and, like, financially not screw up again, so.
2: So I think one of the smartest things this movie does is that Magic Mike, that Mike himself is not the focal point. He's not the entry point to this. It's really, he's not the main character. That is Adam and his sister, Brooke, who are the main characters. And we see them with their financial issues, their money issues. We see them from the very beginning worrying about how they're going to pay things off. You know, we don't really know what their relationship is person to person. Like, we find out later that their brother and sister... But I think it's a really smart way to start off this movie that's about the grind. It's about the hustle. You know, if you want to come to see this movie and just watch Hot Guys Dance, you can. And there is a supercut on the Blu-ray of letting you do just that. But if you are here to see the Soderbergh type of story, you have this story from the beginning to end through Adam and Brooke about their, their money issues, their financial issues. It gives you an entry point into this world, into this story, into this, you know, the same thing that Magic Mike's going through, but we're not just thrust into, no pun intended, not just thrust into the world of mail stripping. We have an entry point outside that world.
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right. It feels to me like it's sort of a a distillation of so many of these kinds of economic issues that Soderbergh's been working with. It all comes to bear here, and I think, no pun intended, uh, and I think, what that allows you to do is use the dancing sequences to comment on either by escaping from or the style of the dance number or whatever. It, it allows him to use those dancing numbers both to be, oh, let's just watch these really hot guys, many of whom can really move. No surprise Channing Tatum you know, can do things with his body that, you know, I mean, the, we're in like Michael Jackson, Fred Astaire, like he is a capital D dancer
2: and if you think what's in this movie is great the sequel
1: raises it to another okay, level yeah. I'm just I have, saying I have to see it and I, and I remember seeing him in those dance movies that he first came out and that was my first exposure to him or at least the first one but there's there's no denying that you can enjoy those parts of this movie on that level but also I think that echo back and forth into the other things that, that are going on
0: yeah I got the sense of that too that they were almost like fight scenes in, in yeah. Haywire, where like they're not just for... Well, somewhat, they're just for the sake of, like, look how cool and entertaining this is, but they also propel the plot in, in ways, or, like, they, they advance the storyline in ways. Like, Mike's routines sort of get darker and darker as he's going right, through right. harder and harder times, and the, and the kid gets more and more refined with his routines, and, you know, you start seeing more of their group choreography, and they really just get way more <laughs> elaborate with everything as it goes along and you just come to realize like this is hard fucking work man like these right, guys right. even though a kid comes off the street and does join the group and can do this it's not like this is an easy job that anyone can do they still have to like put him through the ringer and stuff and see if
2: he can handle it and it just seems so like physically exerting and i think the movie's really smart to say that they got adam off the street but he's not good at this right away he's just basically a hot guy who took a chance that paid off they're right. like he can't dance for shit He's able to do this after, you know, coaching from Matthew McConaughey, who is amazing in this movie, which we will get into in a big way. Yeah. But I think that... He's just got
0: the guts, you know? Like, he has the mirror.
2: Which I feel like... And this is a generalization, if you're in that kind of mentality that you're a hustler and you're working all these different side jobs and whatever, unless you're, like, really don't give a shit about your life, like, you kind of have to have that confidence. You have to be able to, like, quit a job that you're making $10 an hour under the table. I think you have to have that personality type of, like, I'm going to be okay. And I think we see even from the early scenes where he's talking to his sister, he's got that confidence, he knows things are going to work out, even though Alex Pettyfer is not the best actor. I think that the character sort of exhibits those kind of traits. I think it
0: really helps that I'm reminded throughout the film this kid's only 19 years old. You know what I'm saying? Because he doesn't look 19 to me. I think he's okay as far as the role goes, but I just think the look... He needs to be more clean shaven. Maybe he's just not babyface enough for me. But I, it really helps that I'm reminded that because that carries a lot of mileage. He's not even 21 and he's out there in these overage clubs and he's dealing with like these men that have been in this hustle for years and have like perfected it. And he's just like a like a pup in a world of wolves and everything. So that goes a long way for me. I give the character a you lot give him of a pass. Like, pa- yeah. yeah, exactly. I give him a pass just like because of that detail.
1: Yeah, he's not a very good actor, I don't think. I guess I haven't seen him in a lot of things. But yeah, he's not he's not good. But Soderbergh has a way of using that to the movie's advantage, I think, because it keeps us at kind of a distance from him. Like I'm kind of removed from him, which allows Channing Tatum's sort of magnetism to, <laughs> to swoop into that void. I guess what I'm saying is that I believe the character, but not because the acting is good. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because I think he's well-written. You know, I just don't think it's yeah. well-performed.
1: Right. But I don't think that matters so much.
0: No, because it's so well written. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like they constantly do things with him to remind you that, like, yeah, he is just a dumb kid that really doesn't, you know, know his way and is expecting to sort of be either taken care of by his sister or by his new best friend. That he just bestowed that honor upon without any say whatsoever
2: and what's really kind of fascinating about that is the guy who wrote this movie is a guy named reed carolyn who's only written four things he's a screenwriter on a documentary he wrote both magic mike movies and he's writing the gambit movie starring shannon tatum so like it's not like he's this guy who has this prestigious career of writing believable characters like for him to create a world filled with characters so believable it's really commendable
1: I may be wrong. I may be filling this in. But I have a memory of when the movie came out that he was a friend of Channing Tatum's from the stripping days, maybe. Or they had some connection, either because he was around that world because Channing was doing that or he was in the world. Maybe that was his insight, that he was going to be Channing Tatum and his buddy and Soderbergh crafting this movie based loosely on Channing Tatum's sort of entry into stripping. But that Channing Tatum was going to play the mentor role and not the ingenue role.
2: And the guy who wrote this movie, Reed Carolyn, did go to Harvard, and he founded this thing called Constellation TV, and I'm not exactly sure, you know, what his role in all of this is, but, you you know, the fact that he only has four credits, like, the more impressed I am by him.
1: And I don't mean to suggest that he's not a... Like, I don't mean that, oh, he's just a friend who wrote this movie. Like, he wrote this movie.
2: Very intriguing.
0: What really sells everything else is that I feel like this is a whole new world for me basically like a world I know nothing about like I've never been to one of these clubs you know I've never been to a male strip review I don't know anybody who does that kind of stuff and so like it's just an aspect of life an aspect of male life that I had no idea about whatsoever so i am like completely intrigued about what is going on here behind the scenes and in front and everything and like the way this whole world works and it's set up so well that everybody just feels like they come sort of like pre-packaged and well done already you know what i'm saying like everything just right. feels like such a tight
2: package and delivered so well I mean we know what this movie's gonna be right out of the gate. Like, I mean there's no better way to get this going than by Matthew McConaughey saying all the saying to the saying to us, saying to the movie watcher, hey, let's fucking get it on right now, let's go. And I was like, oh my god, like one line in and I was like, I am already sold on this movie, I am excited, I am ready to go, let's do this. You know what that reminded me of was this
0: is like a very... I don't think that they were thinking this, but I think it just came up in my mind, but of Schizopolis when it opens with like the carnival barker on stage and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, like closer, closer, like get in here, like check this out. And it's sort of that similar thing where you have the guy at the circus like just rowling up the crowd and, and it got me ready to watch the movie.
2: You know what I was thinking of when I was watching this movie was comparing Matthew McConaughey's character from Wolf of Wall Street to this one, that they're both guys who are really, really good at what they do, they're both financially driven. They're both, you know, taking a mentor. They're, they're both being mentors to young people, whether it's Leo and Wolf of Wall Street or Alex Petty for here. You know, they're these guys who are really true to who they are and what they do and care about it. And then, you know, they're, they're very different, obviously, in terms of the career that they take. But there's a real, I think, similarity there between the two of them. I feel like he's all ego. He's like super ego. And that's it. He's got one
0: gear and he's stuck in it forever. <laughs> He's like a dark Bodhi from Point Break. Like, you know, like he's like this wise kind of shaman, but I don't know if I necessarily want his wisdom to end up like this guy. I pictured him as his character from Dazed and Confused. He gave up pot, he took up coke, and he moved to Florida because he's got that. He's got that, all right, all right, all right. Like, that is more prevalent in this film i feel than in dazed and confused and and correct me if i'm wrong but this is like we're in the middle of the reconnaissance at this point too sort of like his huge shift from being a like an okay romantic comedy actor to like an amazing dramatic actor so yeah i mean that was my one note basically like when i remembered that he was in this movie i just wrote down mcconaughey and then i sat back and just like (laughs) let this whole thing sort of wash over me
1: This is my favorite Matthew McConaughey performance ever. I don't think he's ever been as good, and I don't know that he'll ever be as good. A match of material and actor, he just takes this role and just, like, rips it with his teeth. What that allows everybody else to do is play within the bounds, right? You have Alex Pettifer playing it very kind of internal and, you know, like in his shell, and then you have McConaughey way, like, chewing the scenery with, like, his molars, you know? And then you have everybody else allowed to sort of play within that to all kinds of degrees. And I think this is a part that beautifully serves the film. Also, for me, this and this surprised me this time around, one of the interesting things about this movie is the way it deals with masculinity and with the way men relate to one another. Because as much as it's a movie about these men dancing for these women, it's more about, I think, their sort of interactions with each other. And Matt McConaughey is very touching. You know, he hugs these guys. Like, he grabs, you know, Alex Pettifer by the, you know, face, by the, you know, by the jaw, you know, and, like, holds him close, and he feels almost maternal to me. Like, he feels like the den mother of this group, more than, like, they're, like, a removed, you know, withholding father figure. He's, like in there with it and dealing with his feelings and their feelings and he's trying to get them to sort of express themselves and i I just think that's such a marvelous look at a different shade of masculinity that at the same time is all about like like you say like thrusting is you know junk in people's faces you know consensually and for money but that he actually is a much more maternal figure surprised me this time
0: yeah, there's like a surprising amount of comfort with each other's bodies in this movie. Yeah, like, And yeah. I think that it might just be inherent from the job is that you're just going to see each other like naked, like pumping up your cock, like between shows. <laughs> and It just yeah, goes yeah. with the territory or whatever. But there is sort of like an extra level to him where he is like this guru or like this the ben kenobi of stripping of something you know like you're right and like i feel like he wants to groom these people like he really cares about this you know this is his livelihood at the end mike is going to be asked if or he is going to say like i am not my job i'm not that guy on stage i don't see myself that way but i feel like mcconaughey does and he's sort of proud of that like i am a stripper like i embrace it like
2: to its fullest And I think that's where there's like a similarity and a difference between him and Mike, right? That they're both hustling, they both have their eyes on bigger prizes. But Mike wants to do his furniture building business, and McConaughey wants to bring it from Tampa to Miami. And then the second movie starts that he and Adam have gone to Europe to be even bigger, like to sort of bring the brand global. And so they both have that grind, they both have the determination, but they differ in like how that is going to affect their lives. Like I don't think Mike regrets or like you know doesn't want to be a stripper. I think he enjoys it, and he's good at it, obviously, and you know people love him for it, and he's got the lifestyle to go along with it. I feel like Channing
1: could have done that if
2: he wanted, but his mind is elsewhere. He, he wants to do what he wants to do.
1: Yeah, I think that you're totally right. It feels like the movie is telling us that McConaughey could be the older Channing. Like if he kept going and chose to channel it all into this, then that's who he would, would become and he'd be just as good at it. But that he is not ready to do that or doesn't want to do that, like he's shifting his focus and needs to prioritize in a different way. And I don't think it's making, the movie's making a judgment, like a moral judgment about that. Although I think there's some question about that my read it isn't you know. so it's not like oh my god you could end up like him it's just yeah you could end up like him or you could go be somebody else and he chose chooses to go be somebody else
0: one of the things I think that is pretty smart about this movie that I like is how many of the characters seem like you're looking at Mike through their eyes whenever they're on screen so like I always kind of got this I don't know if this is for you guys already. But I got the sense that like when McConaughey is on screen it's like you were saying, Tobin, like we're kinda of seeing like this is what Mike could be. We're seeing you know, Mike through Dallas's eyes. When he's with Brooke, you're sort of seeing, you know, how she sees Mike through her eyes and same with sort of Adam. And as he's sort of grooming Adam, I get the sense that he's looking at himself from the beginning and like going through it all again and weighing whether or not it was a, either worth it or, or worth maintaining. So it's like he's looking at yeah. like McConaughey, Adam and Brooke and seeing himself in different Lights, or in different aspects, and in different ways that he could go.
2: You know, I really like that. I I never really thought about it like that, but I do like that. Um, just to change change the subject for here for a second. You know, there's such a similarity here, and I'm not I don't know if this is just my brain being on the zack attack high for you know a year and a half a while ago, but there's so many similarities to me between this movie and We Are Your Friends. I mean, it's about young guys, young good-looking guys trying to hustle, trying to get money. Uh, they're both you know there's a roofing business in both. And then, you know, at the beginning when they're talking about, like, you know, you know who's spinning tonight at the club, I was like, oh my god, like, when Joe 2 sees this, when we watch this for Magic mics, he's gonna love this movie. Oh, but the one thing I do want to say is that when they go into that club, when they go into, you know, in the beginning when Channing picks up those girls, and he's like, you know, when the girls are here, they when they look like that, they want to be bothered, you can see just how effortless it is for him to pick up these girls, like... I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a telling insight to his character. It's a telling insight into who he is and what he's good at and, you know, the type of things that he's able to do and that he's you know skills that he's developed over time. But I think it also shows us that like no matter what life throws at him, like when he can't get the loan or whatever, you know, he's going to be okay. That he has the skills to make it in this world.
1: Yeah, and he's plucky. Like he has his charm is not doesn't feel predatory. It feels effortless. As you say, it just feels like a part of who he is. And, you know, one of the knocks on this movie is that the stakes don't feel very high or when they do they're high for a very short time and then they kind of go away and I again was not bothered by that at all this time around I feel like the stakes are high the stakes have to do with sort of his future as a human being you know surviving this economic system And, and I think that they're kind of existential really but I think that his charm can make it feel like oh he'll be okay and the movie's kind of like yeah these guys will be okay but I'm not sure that they really will or necessarily will like the charm has only taken him so far he has that to rely on but he needs you know, he needs to find another way there's no denying though that he is an effortlessly charming you know, individual both I think Channing Tatum and, and Mike in the movie
0: I think that was a really great reveal to show that he was working. I thought that they were just going to go to a club and meet some girls and hang out and like he was just going to help this new kid in town like get laid or something like that. Uh and then I sort of had like this look on my face when he found out that Channing was a stripper. I'm like, "Wow, that's how they reveal it in the movie. Like that was really smooth and I don't know. I kind of felt like I had the rug pulled out from under me in a good way, where I was like, he's working right now. Like, he's not picking up chicks. Like, this is part of his routine. This is his job. Like, I'm sure he would love to be out and picking up girls and stuff. And I do get the sense that that rap that he gives to Adam, it very much feels like maybe that's what Channing Tatum would say, like, when he's out with his buddies and stuff. It just came out, like, so easily and so believable. But there's something kind of, again, sad in a way that he's always working like that you know like he's always trying to have to find an angle to stay ahead you know to maintain a certain lifestyle to maintain a certain sort of way that he thinks about himself right so that he can stay positive and because you know he, he never likes to be depressed like he just wants to he wants everybody to have as good a time as possible so it's hard for him when like consequences start arising and days get dark and he can't deal with stuff like that cuz I think he just
2: wants to keep the party going. And I think it's a lot of moments like that that really just show how well structured this movie is. I mean, I don't I'm not thrilled with like the third act like I think the downfall comes a little bit too quickly and I'm not really thrilled with how it ends, but I think that there's a lot of moments that come at sort of the right times. And, you know, what I really like, another another part that's really effective for me in terms of, like, what I know about the franchise and, you know, the flow of this movie is that even without having seen these movies, this movie especially, uh, I knew that Channing Tatum's big song was Pony. And to play that, like, when Brooke shows up, when I'm sister Brooke shows up, and, you know, Mike talks to her, and he, she sees Alex on stage, and then he's like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on or whatever... I'm like, this has to be the moment for Pony. I'm like, it is. I'm like, oh, yes. Like, this movie knows what it's doing. It's a perfect moment. I love it. I kind of, I mean, this is just me, but,
0: like, I kind of found, like, a lot of the dancing stuff to be a little silly. Uh, Not in, like, a bad way. Like, in a fun way. But I was just blown away by how much of a routine everybody had like how much work yeah. goes into all this stuff like how much off hours do you have to put into your routine and not just one but several and you know guys are like i'm working on something new and it's not ready yet and i'm like yeah. jesus this is a this is a career and a lifestyle and all that kind of stuff and that is definitely something that also hit me pretty hard watching this is like chenny tatum is like fucking amazing at, at what he does then dancing and stuff i'm shocked that he wasn't in like la la land or had his own movie in that manner you know I mean he was in the Coen Brothers movies about the 50s uh, Hail Caesar that is incredible that moment that dance sequence is just amazing so that blew me away too that was very funny I I think I had a similar look that she had on her face at one point I mean she has there is so much going through her mind you know her face changes and you're reading all these different emotions that whole it's incredible but at one point I definitely had the same sense of impressed Uh, like I was very impressed with what I was watching
2: and I think what another thing that Brooke does the actress who plays Brooke does really well in this movie is that she reacts to this all like the way that she rolls her eyes at this like this like everybody takes it so seriously even though it's just like the sort of the silliest goofiest thing and what what i think really why this movie is so good is because of how masterful these dance scenes are that it's essentially like a fight scene like it's choreographed like to a T, except instead of fighting it's you know guys stripping
1: It's so true. Thinking of it as an equivalent to the fight scenes in Haywire is really smart, I think. We talked in that podcast about how some of those fight scenes were funny or they had funny moments, right? There's gags. And even when you're not enjoying the humor of that, you're delighted by what these people can do and, you know, fearing for their safety and all that. And in this movie, I have the same delight, the sheer delight and amazement at watching what these people can do. It reminds me of things like you you go all the way back to like Buster Keaton movies and what he was able to do with his body on screen in full shots where it's like he's really doing this stuff. And like human beings are, are not meant to move that way. Like it should not be possible. And there's something there's a real thrill, I think, in watching people whether they're athletes you know in at the top of their game in competitions or fighters or in this case dancers who are able to do things that are sort of, that are extraordinary right they're sort of superhuman with the same material that we all have but just sort of you know shape differently and <laughs> and work differently and 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 as you say mike put in the time and the effort to, to get to that level i defy anybody to watch this movie and turn off the film at any point when they're dancing you just, i just don't i don't think you can
2: I mean, you can say that they're built from the same stuff as us, but you know, let's let's just face it—they're they're built from different material than us. They are not—they are not the same people as us. Speak for yourself. But you know what I really loved about the dancing scenes is watching—you uh, know, there, there's these guys who are so athletic and so talented, and they're doing such crazy things on camera, and it's so much fun to watch. Whether you're in the room or you're just watching the movie, like whether you're a character or a viewer. But then you have Tarzan on stage and Tarzan is going like 50% and it's he's doing like he's so true to his character but you know there's these guys you know like chanting and everybody doing like these crazy crazy things and here I am like watching for Tarzan in the background like what's he doing like why is he not going full speed
0: That's the Kevin Nash guy like Tarzan Yeah you know what it's funny I realized because I'm sort of like well you know how can this kid just like become A dancer, like, or not a dancer, but, like, how would the ladies just, like, go for him? And then I realized, like, they need all these different types. Like, you need the young buck. You need sort of, like, the giant, right? You need, like, the suave guy. You need a homeboy, like, Chanham Tatum, right? Like, there's all these different types and stuff. And I just thought that was hilarious that, like, he can't quite move like them, but he's got value, right?
2: Like, he is just as much right to be up there as the rest of them. He's got the nerve to do it, so... And I think that there's a real comparison here that you could draw to boy bands of, like, the 90s, like, you know, like, pop boy bands. And, you know, uh, uh, before, you know, it is just a bunch of white guys. Um, You know, the second movie, I think, does a lot better job of sort of diversifying that and giving the viewers what they want. But, I mean, in terms of, like, who they are, like, they all have a part to play in the show and a part to play in the movie, but you have, like, such a diverse array of, like, body types and... You know, styles like you have the pretty boy in Channing or, you know, the main guy, the hunk, whatever. You have the young kid in Alex. uh, You have the most ripped human being in the world. You've got Tarzan. If that's your sort of speed, like no matter what you're into, as long as you're into white guys, uh, you probably are into something on stage here.
1: Yeah, and I do love the fact that they are not all amazing dancers or amazing dancers in the same way as you say that they all have their routine they have their shtick you know which i think is in my limited knowledge of stripper history which basically is the musical gypsy there's a song there's there's, there's a song in there that's you know gotta have a gimmick right like that every you need to have a a, you need to have shtick to make your in that case burlesque character really work and these guys all have shtick and it just so happens that you know channings is being able to move like superhuman but everybody's got their own thing and it's you're you're totally right joey that they're the the components of a boy band if they were all the same i think it would be boring it would be dull for the women in the audience and for us like how much you know how many perfect chiseled abercrombie and fitch bodies can you watch you know however long they're at this club as opposed to the variety that you have there, something for everybody i think that's that's really i think that's really True. So,
2: guys, we've talked for about 35 minutes now. I've shown, I think, what I can only imagine is remarkable restraint in not mentioning the fact that my super crush Riley Keo is in this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. which I don't remember. I, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I, she showed up, and I wasn't sure you're gonna recognize her because you had pink hair. I mean, I think I'm always going to recognize Riley Keough, my super crush, Riley Keough, even with, you know, different color hair or whatever. But I also did, you know, full disclosure, I did look on Letterboxd and I saw that she was in it. So I had my eyes peeled for her. And when she finally showed up, I was like, yes. And, you know, she is sort of like a, not a a monster or not like a villain, but she's not a good person in this movie. She, you know, ultimately leads to the downfall uh, of, of characters. You know, like she's, she's this thing. And, you know, there's even that line, like, you don't need that in your life, like, she is trouble but man oh man like i am still in love with her so at the beginning of the movie we have olivia munn and she's like a stripper right like she is you know uh, that Channing brings her home and they have that three-way
1: no she's not no she.
0: no no No. yeah Yeah, she's
1: gonna be a psychiatrist yeah yeah she's 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 a grad
0: student she's she's hosting attack at the show which i just i could not i'm sorry just real quick though like when this movie started and olivia munn was like in the opening scene topless like i I couldn't handle it because I was I've been watching her on Attack of the Show for like all that time and I just had never been able to really take her seriously as an actor and I'm not sure I do yet but she holds her own in this movie sorry I just needed to say my my piece on Olivia Munn who's deathly afraid (laughs) of balloons
1: she came to the club to study them. She was doing a she yeah, was, dissertation, were, I think. Dissertation. And then that's which is why she was going to be leaving and then decides not to. Like it's because she was only supposed to be there for a certain amount of time doing her research.
0: Yeah. And then got roped into threesomes and stuff.
1: Well, no. Like she. No. Well, she she
2: instigated the like way. threesomes.
1: Yeah. yeah. I love her character. I think her character so, so great in this movie.
2: Okay, so I, I just misinterpreted. So maybe she, so she's not a stripper. So Ryoka was, I guess, got that pink hair, and she's just also feeding a baby pig out of a baby bottle. I, yeah, yeah, that
0: was great. Yeah, and it's sort of this like foreboding. Entrance too, because it's at the hurricane party. So there's like this horrible storm going on outside, and they're just sort of wandering around Dallas's giant house. And she's, or I think it's his house, right, if I'm not mistaken. Or they're all hanging out at someone's house during the hurricane, and then she's just laying on a bed in a room, like waiting for anybody to like (laughs) just come in and say hi, I guess. And she reels Adam in and just has him in his grasp. And you know that is great advice, but like, how can you not go in that room?
2: I sort of forgive the movie's stumbling into this drug betrayal and downfall of Adam's character just because she's the the gateway, like, she's the gatekeeper into this subplot, but, like, you know, it leads him into talking to Fluffy, into talking to Gabriel Iglesias about, you know, getting the hookup for the drugs, and, like, obviously he, does, he has more than 100 pills, and, like, it kind of becomes a cliché. And it's just disappointing because, like, you you know, I think from the beginning of the movie when Channing has he like he has a certain amount of money, like thirteen thousand dollars saved up, and like you know that like it's not the kind of movie where things are really going to go well for him. And I was just sort of like, it's like Chekhov's thirteen thousand dollars. Like I'm like, how is this going to go wrong? Where is he going to have to spend this? How is this going? How is he going to lose this money in a way that it doesn't behoove him or doesn't benefit him? And you know, for a movie that is so real and grounded and you know about that grind and about that hustle like so well structured it's just like disappointing how just you know cliche and predictable this whole like drug downfall is
1: yeah this is my least favorite part of the movie and I think it's mercifully short. I think it's probably Soderbergh's least favorite part of the movie, too. Like, it feels like he's just... I guess not not just getting through it, but he's getting through it as fast and efficiently as he can. And I think the thing that saves it from... be Because really, the, the the point for the movie, in a more traditional version of this story, it would be about Adam's downfall. And this movie ends up being not about that at that moment. What it's about is what it does to Channing Tatum's character. Like, his this is all behind his decision to say, OK, I'm never going to get ahead in this world. I need to find another route. That's what he's going to going to decide after this. It's not like, oh, he's, you know, I'm out the money and it's it, it's not self-pitying. It's just it's a wake-up call kind of for him. I think that in that way, it, you know, it works. It works for the movie just fine. But it's not it, you're right, it's not the most original thing. And and it's I think also the movie's smart enough to know that this is important to have in the, this kind of beat is important to have in the movie, but that we don't really want to spend a lot of time watching it. <laughs> we want to get back to the get back to other other stuff. And I think they're smart in, in the way they deal with it even if it's not as originals we'd like
0: yeah i th- I think it's like cleverly used uh, as far as cliches go, almost in a i almost got it in a sense of adaptation the movie where so far up until the third act or so, like this has just been like uh, an adventure in some weird new world for yourself, and so towards the end, I give it a lot of leeway if it needs to fall back on you know certain movie cliches you know certain things that just that story dictates need to absolutely happen that we've seen a million times and you guys are absolutely right like it's it's handled briefly and quickly and cleanly and the screenplay or the in the screenwriter knows well enough not to dwell here in this area because it's a murky pit that you can get stuck in for a long time you know (laughs) and they really just rush in and out of that but I do feel like they had you're right they had to hit that beat or at least they had to graze it. They had to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, they did the best that uh, they possibly could there. But I, I can't imagine like another way to get where we need to go. And we need to have that sort of lesson to be learned quickly and right. hard. I think it adds at least a moment of danger that the movie lacked. The closest we got to actual danger is the sorority party where they, you know, get into an actual fight with a lot of the guys there and stuff. But I was actually expecting a lot more to go a lot wrong throughout this movie. Like, I thought there was just going to be way more danger that the Florida nightlife was going to, you know, like they were just going to be drinking or binging or whatever they were going to be doing and just getting into a lot more trouble. So that when there actually is a moment where, there's a moment of a real threat even if it's just for a fleeting second i was grateful that we got there and that yeah, there's the, real consequences on display
1: i think the movie needs it and i think that it's smart to tie it into the riley keogh character and to the kid being you know young and as you say joey not caring it's just that the sooner they're done with it the better and it's important, an important sort of place for the movie to go in terms of emotional stakes and then yeah let's move on
2: so I think if the uh, thesis statement for Cage Club and Keanu Club, Mike, as we went through all of those was, can this guy act? Is he actually a good actor or not? Is he, you know, only good in a few movies? I think sort of the thesis statement of the podcast like I do with Joe too, like Zack Attack and Magic Mike's and Boyfriend Material, and especially, you know, especially this movie, it's like, can these handsome guys... Be more than just sort of like the heartthrob or like the hunky guy or whatever and i think you know in this movie i'm like as we go through magic mics we're gonna find a lot more but like i think the answer is yes like Channing tatum is great in this
1: yeah and there's a thing that happens with actors and actresses who are particularly good looking and charming that it's so easy to underrate what they can do and i think that he demonstrates for my money time and again but you're right in that scene and in this movie that especially when he has control over the project when he has some say in, in what it is and how it's being done he can really deliver he is not just a pretty face he's not just a, a kid who can move he's a guy who has real chops and I think that you know, I defy anybody to watch this movie and not and, and dismiss that I think they do I don't think they're really watching it I think they're just like you say they're just sort of laughing at it and I think that was maybe part of my problem when I first saw it he was such a big media presence And I think I think it sort of kept me from sort of appreciating it as I should have as a film, especially when he's up against or not up against. But in this movie, he stands out. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that he is a great vehicle for the audience and really earns those moments.
0: Initially, I had a hard time taking this movie seriously, or at least I thought I would. Because of so much of the spectacle, and, you know, this, I think, came out before I realized Channing had actual chops and could actually go there and do this kind of stuff. But you're right. On its base, like, I think that's part of the point of the movie, too. You weren't expecting to take this guy seriously. And by the end of the movie, I think we do. And we take what he does for work seriously. And it's not a joke, you know? And the movie proves that point really well.
1: We should talk about Brooke. Do you
2: think she's a good actress? Or do you think that she's like Alex Pettifer in like, she's serving the role, but she's not great? I don't know that I've ever seen this actress in anything before
0: or after, but she's kind of aloof to me, the character, but that's what I find really intriguing about her. I wanna know what she's about. (laughs) She's so guarded and she's not an open book or anything like that. And so in a weird way, that was sort of refreshing to me. Like she feels more like a real person Like, it just seems like in movies, people meet cute so easily and often that they're ready to just, like, talk about everything that's been going on in their lives forever so quickly. And this movie kind of reminded me of more of,
2: like, the way actual people interact. And, you know, with Brooke, like, I think I've seen her in one or two things, but, like, she reminds me so much of someone in Pitch Perfect. I think maybe that's why I'm confusing her. I'm not sure. I also, I'm not sure if she's a good actor actor like i don't know if she's good at acting or just like like it's hard for me to tell like i can sort of read everyone else in this movie and know whether or not they're good but like i'm just not sure about her and i think like what might be leading or contributing to that confusion in a way is that i don't really understand her motivation like she's a sister but she sort of acts like a mother and I feel like we don't really get a why there like we don't know why she's so protective and so controlling other than just maybe like an older sister like of a fuck up younger brother or whatever but like I don't I don't know how you write that in and make it feel natural without it being like oh well, blah, blah 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 like here's, how, here's why here's why uh, I, I feel like there's probably a smart way to do that but like I, I don't know the answer but I, I know that the, the movie doesn't really give you one and that's you know sort of disappointing
1: I remember when I first saw this movie, watched it at home on DVD with my wife, and she could not stand this actress. She could not... Just just did not believe a word of her, and and I remember sort of defending it to some degree. Although I could see what she was saying, but I remember feeling like, oh, this feels like somebody who's not an actor who Soderbergh found, and is he's working with a non actor because she has kind of a like there's no she, she has an affectless quality, and a it doesn't seem like she's doing very much. But I, I I like that kind of acting. And then of course you look on, you know, if you you see that she has been acting in various roles for a while. She was done Rescue Me for a, a few episodes. She's like she has credits, and then you see that it's her dad was the chairman of disney and before that (laughs) Warner Brothers oh so she's a mogul's kid which is not again i don't say that as a pejorative or i I don't think she got this job for that reason necessarily she might have gotten
0: she might have gotten the audition for that reason
1: i mean listen yeah well yeah listen Soderbergh and Channing Tatum put the money together to make this movie themselves they co financed this movie together and then Mm -hmm. it goes on to make worldwide like 160 million dollars (laughs) like yeah they did very well for themselves so they had control they could do whatever they wanted and and there was something i really this time around really liked her performance i'm not sure it's a performance but i really liked it i really thought it fit the movie i think that having her be more stoic allowed the channing tatum's charm like clearly it's half working on her but not really and that comes across really really well i think he the character mike is such a performer and she is not a performer and i think that that for me that really worked this time so do you want more brooke in the movie look i don't know how much i want to go into her and adam's like these are in terms of acting these are the two most problematic performances in the movie are the sort of cypher surrogates for the audience in a way in terms of the world getting into the world of stripping maybe if they were better actors i would want to delve into that a little more (laughs) but i don't know i don't know i'm not i'm not i didn't miss it i should say that that way i didn't miss it as i was watching it as you say that i think yeah that would be kind of interesting to know but i didn't miss it when i was watching
0: Yeah, I feel like they could have maybe slipped in a couple lines. I don't think that we needed to meet their parents or, you know, get the whole story. But I understand. I would would like to maybe know a little why she's so overprotective as opposed to just being the older sister and they live without any parental guidance. You know, it could be kind of like a dangerous city if you're out on your own and, and you're a young teenager and everything but I quite enjoyed her as the person who doesn't buy any of the bullshit, you know? <laughs> like, even as far as, like, the other women in the movie, how they just so sort of easily, like, fall for Mike, or, you know, even the Olivia Monk character, for the most part, like, he calls, and she comes running once or twice, you know? And she treats him, you know, the way stereotypically guys treat yes, girls, yes. you know what I'm right. saying? Like, that right. dynamic is like, wow, like, we could really unpack that for a while, too. Just, I feel like she was... You know, again, more well written than performed, but I'm glad that this character is there because I feel like it's a kind of character we don't get often in films and especially a type of female character who I feel is is more realistic than what we usually see portrayed as, you know, just in the sense of someone who seems more complex and uh, mysterious and we're just not going to really get the full picture. It's going to make me feel like they're a
2: little more realistic. I mean, I'm also totally okay with just tall Paul being in the background and, you know, getting dumped because he doesn't like breakfast foods enough. But (laughs) I also got the sense, I mean, you said we don't need to meet the parents. I agree. I also get the sense that maybe their parents are dead. Like, let's just sort of the backstory that I gave to them because, like, she's acting like a mom for some reason. And, like, the only thing that makes sense to me is that, like, well, they don't have a mom anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I actually at one point kind of considered that, you know,
0: I thought, like, I should make up like a reason or something or you know what could it be and that's kind of the only thing I landed on also is that they were orphans
2: one thing I think we talk about for a little bit so there's a lot of music in this movie obviously because every dance routine has a song and what's interesting to me I don't know if it I don't know if I love it but I think it's definitely unique and stands out is that like when there's like the montages of them dancing and there's just a song that's not their song kind of playing over it I thought that was kind of unique but what I didn't really notice which I found on IMDb is that aside from that sandbar party where there's a song playing, there's no music in the rest of the film. You mean there's no score? There's no score. So not only is the rest of the film like tinted yellow or green or whatever, but I think that's another like comparison or difference between you know daytime Mike and Magic Mike.
1: God, he's so good. Soderbergh is so good. What
2: a Thank subliminal you. trick they never even picked up on. That takes me all the way back
0: to what was it, King of the Hill. When he pulled that editing trick in the very first scene with the shot from the end of the movie, just snuck it in there and he didn't even realize it. In a way, it cooked us for the rest of the film, you know, (laughs) like it prepared us for whatever else was coming along, even if we weren't aware of it, which is awesome. Is that legal? Is he doing like subliminal shit like in his films (laughs) to get people to like stay in their seats? Is it like they had to ban the old Pepsi commercials because Mm -hmm. there were subliminal messages in them or something? Like that's the kind of filmmaker it feels like, which is super smart.
1: Yeah, maybe, although (laughs) he must not have done it during the Good German unless the, unless it was like, unless it was, unless fall asleep was the command in the subliminal. You got, you got burnt, Good German.
2: So a little bit of trivia that I found about this movie on IMDb, James Marsden apparently told GQ that he was offered a role in the movie, but turned it down because he was worried his lines would be cut and he looked like, quote, a naked extra. So
1: it must be the, <laughs> the Mat the Matt Bomer role. It's
0: funny because basically his lines were cut from X Men and he stood around looking like a weirdo in the background like <laughs> most of that movie.
2: The role of Brooke, the sister, was offered to Jessica Beale, but she declined. I think she would have been good here. And also in similar sort of fashion in terms of who was almost in the movie, uh, Channing Tatum originally wanted Nicholas Winding Refn to direct the film, but Refn had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts with Only God Forgives. So I like that Channing Tatum wanted to direct a movie for Magic Mike's, but instead he directed a movie for Boyfriend Material. So no matter what he did, Joe Two and I are going to cover it. I don't know. I think there's too much movement in this movie. (laughs) I think it'd be the movie closer to what people wanted. I
0: think he would have gotten too weird and away from the core of it. I think he too artistically bizarre at points.
2: Maybe not the female version of this, but I think the Neon Demon is kind of a female counterpoint entrance into this. You know, specific to one gender.
0: Well, super superficial behind the scenes of those worlds. Yeah, yeah,
1: but you know, the part of this movie that he would have reveled in is the part you didn't like the thing he does really really well is sort of menace and like that that sort of crazy hurricane party den of sin kind of of stuff lost of
0: control and stuff yeah
1: I don't want to see that I, I don't want to see that I'm so glad he did not direct this movie there are things he does really well I can't imagine his version of this movie. You know what's weird? Having said that, there's things in
0: this movie I wasn't sure Soderbergh was capable of, to be quite honest with you. Like, there's things he hasn't done before, like all this dance stuff. Like, he's getting, like, Bubsy Berkeley at times with the choreography and the excitement from the crowd and just keeping up that energy. Um, Yeah,
1: except in Haywire, he was working with bodies and choreography in a very similar way. Yeah. The camera to the the action. And when he's shown in the Oceans movies, he can make a fun, pure entertainment movie you combine I think you combine Oceans and The Girlfriend Experience and Haywire and you have this movie
0: maybe that's it maybe i just seen it in pieces and so I mean it just comes back to the fact that he's just such a great director and like he always knows where to place the audience in a scene and everything to make it just the most understandable and that's just on full display here and I mean just in the coverage of the dancing especially I noticed this time I was like you can screw this up by getting handheld or doing this or doing swooping shots and then he's like no we're just going to shoot it so you can watch it and that's just the perfect way to do
2: it. Well guys come back in a couple years for Cinemakers Nicholas Winding Refn where we can have this argument all over again. Channing Tatum and Alex Pettifer allegedly did not get along on set, which is always a good time, I'm sure, between your two leading roles.
0: That's unfortunate. There's kind of like a tension that builds between them. At least on the Mike side, you get the sense that he's through with this guy by the end of the movie. You know, that like it's maybe this kid wasn't the best
2: choice. And my only other note is that at the very end of the movie, when Matthew McConaughey finally does his one and only stripping performance does at one point a little somersault like he's down he's like thrusting his his hips in the air and you know he's getting showered with money and then he does this weird little somersault into a stand and that was because the extras in that scene actually tore his g-string and so when he does this somersault like they kept him he's like holding his junk in place and like the string is dangling (laughs) they were just so into it that i'm sure it's not difficult to rip those things but like you know they kept in the movie which is uh pretty great do what you gotta do, man. <laughs> all right, all right, all right.
1: <laughs> I really I really think this is the movie he should have won an Oscar for.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think this is definitely an Oscar-worthy performance out of McConaughey, absolutely.
1: This is the same year that Mudd came out. This is
2: a year after Killer Joe. This is a year before... He would win the Oscar in Dallas Buyers Club. It's two years before he was Rust Cole in True Detective. I think it's also the year after, or maybe the same year as the Lincoln Lawyer. Like these are like this is like the three-year stretch where he was just murdering it, and he's so good in this. So he's also the year before Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, everybody. I think everybody for the most part is really good in this movie. I think, but like he and Channing, really, it's just this. They're on another level.
1: He's so good
2: yeah and yeah that's the thing they are on another level
0: and it shows when they're around you know just okay actors or non-actors that's the one thing there's maybe a off balance of talent in this as far as that goes you know <laughs> i wish uh, joe mangiello even spoke i don't think he says anything i liked him in true blood like he's a good actor he needed more to do in this um does he show up in
2: the sequel he does. So in the sequel, so his character arc, he's the one who uses the penis pump in this movie, which I think is the first time I've ever seen that in a movie. Maybe the last, who knows? I mean, I'm surprised there's like actual full on cock. I mean, I'm just saying like
0: I'm a proponent yeah, yeah, yeah. for nudity yeah. in film in general, <laughs> whether it be male or female, just because I have a huge gripe with the ratings board as, as far as that right. goes, you know? So I'm just saying like it's just it's a win for filmmakers everywhere to get that in.
2: But in the sequel, he is back and his character arc is basically that his dick is so big that every time he gets intimate with a lady, they always shy away and they just offer him any kind of other release that's not, you know, intercourse. And so he he has to literally find the glass slipper uh, that can accommodate his manhood. It's wonderful. I can tell you that much. Like The second movie, I don't think it's as good of a movie as the first one. I think that there's lulls in between the action that feel a little bit long, but it's so much fun. It's way more... Like, this movie's fun. XXL is so much fun and it's closer to I think the kind of movie that people wanted out of this one but it doesn't fully sacrifice the story like there's still character development even if the plot is just like the, the plot of the second one is we're gonna go to Charleston and we're going to enter into a stripping competition like that's it's a it's a road movie it's not like this complicated dissection of the American Dream and American values and like hustling and entrepreneurship and everything but it is remarkably fun. I think, like, five minutes longer than this movie. They amp up the choreography and everything in that movie tenfold, it feels like. They bring in... Jada Pinkett Smith has this entire house, and, like, everybody in the house, both the male strippers and the the clientele who she calls the queens, everybody there is black, which brings really much-needed color to this world, of this franchise. They bring in an Hispanic dancer named Tito, so they have diversity there, too. We get Elizabeth Banks in the second one. Like, it's so good. It's so much fun, if you liked more about this movie more than just the like financials, uh, which I feel is most people, like, if you were just like impressed by the choreography, if you liked the characters, if you liked the acting, the performances, highly, highly recommend the second one. There's like one or two shots of Joe
0: Mangiello like behind a sewing machine in this movie. I thought for sure they were gonna be like he makes the costumes in the second one
2: or something, or like he wants to open a clothing store. <laughs> oh, he he does some sewing in the second movie so i don't want to spoil too much more i mean not that you can really spoil a road movie that's about you know hot guys stripping but like just watch it i highly recommend it i didn't appreciate it the first time i think i think it works better if you've just seen the first one you sort of know the characters know the world i think that on its own is fun but like they they do make direct references like you know they talk about brooke they talk about like other developments and stuff like that to really truly fully enjoy it being familiar with the world of this movie will make the second one even better
0: you know what I'm getting a sense of? Like, it might be kind of like that movie Everybody Wants Some, which I love, that letter film. It's just a bunch of guys, like, hanging out two days before college starts and their baseball practice. And, like, it's just bullshitting, but it's so great. It's just so much fun.
2: And, like, I am openly, admittedly, into style over substance. Like, if you give me, like, a flashy movie, like, I am sold. Like, if you give me, like, great sounds, great looking people, because, like, both movies, obviously, the stars are all these, like, guys who are shortlist the entire time, but, like, they are perpetually surrounded by gorgeous women. You know what I mean? They're not naked, but they're, I mean, you know, Olivia Munn to Mike's pitter patter of his heart. But, like, in all the movies, like, they're always in clubs and, like, houses and everything, like, with just beautiful women. Like, it's just, like, beautiful to look at, amazing to listen to. The choreography is there. Like, this is what I want. Like, I want to just have fun in watching movies. And this is exactly what I was looking for.
1: And that's kind of what amazes me about Soderbergh, is that he's able to do this and bubble, like, and Kafka and Aaron Brockovich. Like, he has a, such a an ability to do so many different kinds of movies in many cases really really well you know we we may like ones more than others we may enjoy ones more than others but you know there there are a number of directors who can work in a sort of almost esoteric intellectual mode and couldn't make this movie to save their life. other directors who make movies that sort of where the surface is so much a part of the film where the the aesthetics are are maybe more more important than the story or the theme or whatever but couldn't tell anything tell a story that was much deeper and he's able to do both ends of that spectrum in many cases, really well. Not always, but in many cases really well. It's partly because he was able to, you know, have the resources to pay for this movie himself. That's not a thing a lot of filmmakers at his level are doing. And I think it, it allows him to take, as we've said all along, to take a lot of chances along the way. And, and you know, time and again, it pays off. I, I'm just so amazed that this fits so neatly into his filmography and yet feels so uh, so distinct. It also comes in the middle
2: of a five-film stretch that, like, I dare you to stack up to any other director working today in, let's see here, the Informant Contagion Haywire Magic Mike side effects. We're gonna get the side effects next week, but like I've I've only seen that movie once, but I remember really liking and it. I've and I've never like,
1: seen it. That's the wow. one that's gonna end. Like it's gonna fill out my kind of. Oh, uh, I will have been. I will be a completist once I see that and the rest of the Nick. I I will be all up to date. Um, but so I'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing how that fits into this really sort of heroic stretch before he um, <laughs> retires.
0: Yeah, seriously, I think I understand why he got the feeling like he could retire now because of this. I mean, but I get the idea. Like, I understand why he was like, I'm going out. I'm going out on top. Like, it reminds me when Chris Rock stopped doing the Chris Rock show. Everyone was like, what are you doing? You have the best show on HBO. This show's amazing. It's such a great talk show. He's like, it can't get any better. I have to leave the show before it (laughs) dovetails into, you know, terribleness. Like, go out on top. So I understand it. I'm glad he came back to work, but I totally... Get that? Why you would decide to retire after making that streak of movies?
1: And he must have been exhausted. I mean, Contagion, Haywire, and Magic Mike are released within eighteen months of one another. Like, it's amazing how fast he how fast he was working. And I think that that, you know, back to back to back, and it doesn't really let up. Like, he moves right into to both Side Effects and Behind the Candelabra are, are in the same year too. I think. So so he's he he must have just been been burnt out as well.
2: But he is back maybe better than ever I mean maybe Logan Lucky is going to kick off a stretch of films that are even better than this who knows I don't
1: we don't we will find out we'll find out any last thoughts about Magic Mike go see it I mean go rent it go watch it find it
0: yeah the same thing like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna launch into another long thing I just want to say if you're not sure if this is the type of movie for you give it a try check it out
2: because I don't it's probably it's not exactly what you're expecting so for all things Cinemakers, you can go to CageClub.me or Facebook.com slash CageClub or at pod on Twitter. You can email us, Cinemakers at CageClub.me. Let us know what you think of the show, of the movie, of the episode, whatever. Just say hi. This episode is coming out in March, which means that you can hear a few episodes of Tobin's new show, The Contenders, which is very exciting. By now, for sure, Mike's new show, Third Time's a Charm, will be out, so you can yep. listen to that, too. So go listen to all of our shows at CageClub.me. Facebook.com slash Cage Club and at Cage Club Pod on Twitter. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Tobin Adentino. And we'll see you next time on Cinema.